What is happening, you beautiful bastards? Welcome back to another week. This week, our guest is Kenny Ryan. Kenny, uh, Kenny's been doing some research on pretty much all the presidents up till I believe 1900. And he's going till today, but that's where he's at so far. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I will uh, be the first to admit, I found out that there's, my knowledge of presidents was painfully lacking after talking to Kenny Ryan. I think that's most Americans. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, as we discussed in the episode, my knowledge kind of drifts off once we hit Nixon. Beyond that, I know a couple of key players. That's kind of it. I think that you, as we talked about in the episode, we talked about how you get these big gaps of presidents that aren't really noteworthy. No, they were just filling the seat for the time being. And uh, we kind of go into depth with Kenny on our most recent presidents and whether or not they're going to be seat fillers or memorable. Seat fillers. For the most part. Uh, but we, we also talked to him about the history of presidential decisions and behaviors that led to the country that we live in today. So things like corporate corruption. Turns out we can point the finger at somebody for that one. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go find out. What is happening, you beautiful bastards? So what, what are you working on lately? You have a, a podcast talking about this sort of thing? Yeah, I, I'm the host of Abridged Presidential Histories, which is a podcast. I put up episodes twice a month. And the goal is I kind of, in, in chronological order, do the, the stories on the successes, scandals, administrations of each president in order in an hour or less. And about a year ago, I started also adding historian interviews. So I'll usually have like kind of a main narrative thrust about, you know, this guy, that guy, that guy, they're all guys. And then I'll interview a historian, you know, to, to dive into some things that are like, oh, that was really interesting. I want to learn more about it. Or I didn't have a chance to get into this. And uh, it, it's a lot of fun. What made you get into this? Like, what, I'm a huge nerd. Well, yeah, um, join the club. Like, <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I had been always enjoyed reading uh, history and biographies anyway. I, I'm the guy who like, when it came time to graduate college, they're like, congratulations, you took so many history classes for fun that you have a minor on accident. <laughs> and I was like, okay, cool. Um, and so I, th there's this love of history that's inside me. I'm also someone who used to be a journalist uh, for about five years. I was a sports writer, news writer, mostly around Texas, also New York. Uh, and then I got, you know, I kind of looked around one day, I was like, everyone's getting fired. Maybe I should get a new career path before, you know, that's yanked out from under me. Uh, got an MBA and moved up to Seattle and now work in marketing. So the podcast is a chance to scratch that old storytelling itch, that, that desire to still write and tell stories. Uh, and then it marries it with my passion for history. So uh, how far have you gotten with the presidents? You gotten all the way up to uh, our most recent Right now, William McKinley is who's currently out. So we are just hitting the 20th century. Uh, I'm finishing off my Teddy Roosevelt scripts, doing, doing a bunch of those interviews this week, actually, for historians. Um, and so that's where I am right now. We're, we're about to start hitting names that people recognize. <laughs> I mean, Teddy Roosevelt is pretty badass. We did an episode on him. Like, you could probably do a couple episodes on Teddy. Oh, absolutely. Teddy Roosevelt, I'm like, there, there's no way this is going to fit in under 60 yeah. minutes. So let's pick like kind of a narrative thread. Like, what are the few moments I really want to focus on? 
And then uh, let's also do the historian interview. So I think I have like four or five historian interviews lined up to kind of fill out that mosaic that is uh, TR. Yeah, he's he's a wild guy. <laughs> yeah. So I, what I actually kind of wanted to pick your brain on before we kind of break down how we got where we are as a country, you now have a pretty good view of what a president is and should be and what they should be doing. How do you feel about Biden at the moment? Ah, you know, Biden at the moment is someone who seems to be trying to do the best they can do to improve the country, given the strengths and limitations of their position. And in particular, right now, one of the big questions is, do we challenge some of those limitations? Do we flex some of these things, in particular, the filibuster? Uh, the filibuster being something that is a total accidental fluke, <laughs> was never supposed to exist. No, nobody ever in, you know, intended to invent it. It was invented on accident, and then it took people like 30 years to realize, oh, we accidentally invented that 30 years ago. Let's start using it. <laughs> and so you know, right now, there's certainly this, this big question of, do we challenge the filibuster? Do we get rid of that? It has certainly become a tradition. Is it a tradition that is good for democracy or is it a tradition that's bad for democracy? So I think Biden's a guy that's, that's struggling to figure that out. He's also certainly someone, and this is like the norm, it seems, of the last 12 years, someone who's struggling with an opposition that is a say no to everything crowd. Yeah. You know? yeah. Now, they did bipartisan infrastructure. So I don't want to ignore that. That mm. was that really is a big deal. That was a ton of money. That is going to have huge impacts on people's lives. It's not sexy legislation. <laughs> it's not you know very very easy for you to realize where it is. It's not a check you know with Biden's name on it. Uh, but they did work across the aisle, at least in, in the Senate. I don't think anyone in the House voted for it, which is again a testament to like that. That's the kind of thing that both parties used to come together and hash it out, and. The way politics have evolved is, is, I think, the bigger story than the presidency. Biden feels like someone who would be, uh, in any other age, a perfectly adequate and soon forgotten president. You know, yeah. he's not someone who's like sweeping you off your feet with the oratory. Just doing um, the job. He's just doing the job. Yeah. yeah, he's just doing the job as best he can, just trying to tinker around the edges. But the the circumstance he's found himself in is more high stakes and, and stressful. And if you look at American history, sometimes you've had adequate presidents in times like that and and maybe you wish you had somebody who had a higher level of skill that that could like find the way to to bridge the divide find the way to convince the american people which is what you got to do to come more together you know i i don't think it's something where you're going to convince uh say members of the opposite party who were elected running to oppose you you know you're not going to convince them because they, they know what got themselves elected you have to find a way to communicate to the American people. And that's the challenge. Uh, one, one thing that is uh, related to communicating with the American people that I don't think anything is going to come of this, but there's been a lot of conversation about removing the ability of members of Congress to trade stocks. Oh. And some, something like 76% of the American people that they polled said, yeah, totally take that away. I yeah. agree. I agree with that because yeah. they have a lot of information that you shouldn't yeah. be able to trade with. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. But I don't think any president could get that rule taken, uh, taken and changed. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's one of those things. These politicians are savvy, and yeah. they realize that sure there might be a lot of things that are overwhelmingly popular, but they're not the things that people actually vote on. 
They're not the things that people get out on, you know? And so uh, congressmen, senators of both parties, they can ignore that because they want to make money off of it. Uh, as long as they do hit, hit the the meaty issues that the people really care about, you know, if, if you're a Republican, then it's things like like you know whether it's abortion, guns, you know, uh, what have you. If you're a Democrat, <laughs> the other side of abortion, guns, mm-hmm. what have you. you. Know those are the issues that really get people to vote. And so as a result, the, these other things that might be overwhelmingly popular with the American people, uh, the politicians just too many of them don't care because they realize mm-hmm. that. They're not going to get voted out of office for not doing that. Yeah, it's not going to do any good for them. Yeah. Yeah, the American public forgets pretty quickly about stuff like that. Yeah, and it's just not what's on their mind. When they're in the voting booth and they're looking at the names and they're deciding who to hit, nobody is asking themselves, what is this person's position on whether congressmen can buy and sell stocks? You know, that, that if they are, then they're in the voting booth way too long and they've thought through mm-hmm. a lot of other issues first. Yeah, usually everyone's just a one or two policy kind of thing. It's like, oh, all right, it's it's either the guns or the abortion thing or one or the other. Um, But one thing Jerry and I were talking about, I I don't feel like any of the presidents we've had in my lifetime are going to be remembered in 30, 50 years, right? They're going to be that that big span of presidents where you're just like, I don't remember them for anything. I mean, unless it's something bad. Like you yeah, even Clinton, I don't think Clinton's going to make it in there. I, yeah, I, I, Clinton, I agree. Clinton's going to be uh, another white male president. Yeah, he's going to be a blip. <laughs> 30 years. That's it. You know? Yeah. Uh, George H.W. Bush will be another white male president in 30 years. George mm-hmm. W. Bush might be remembered just because the Iraq war was such a fuck up. I would say he might, uh, <laughs> he might get it for 9-11, but even then, I don't think so. Because, I mean, there have been other presidents that fuck shit up like that. We just don't remember them. We just, they're forgotten. That's true. And if you're looking at the long, you know, of like, say, 100 years, say 200 years. Exactly. Like, think, think that. You think of like the 19th century. What presidents can name from the 19th century 130 years later? You can name Lincoln. Mm-hmm. You know, p- people might say Jefferson and Jackson if they even remember that that's the century mm-hmm. they're from, yep. you know, uh, may- may- Grant's pretty popular lately. Maybe get Grant and someone else will probably say Alexander Hamilton. And you'd be like, that's not a president. Um, <laughs> but you're right. I, and it's, it's too early to say, but if, if we look at this era that we're in, this would probably feel like a long kind of forgettable stretch from FDR exactly. to, you know, a bunch of kind of guys who are there. Uh, FDR certainly gets, I mean, he was a, a colossus. There's nobody who's been on that oh, yeah. stage. You know, th- there's nobody who will be in the top five presidents. There's nobody who will be in the worst five presidents. I mean, you know? even if you look at Reagan and the amount of bullshit he did, I still don't think you're going to bring him up. No, I don't think, I don't think Reagan will be another kind of forgotten white guy. I agree. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll have their fanboys out there. I, yeah. All these old presidents have their boys out there, <laughs> but, but the the larger American public, you know, probably yeah, won't be aware. I, they won't be teaching it in, in history class, you know, for sure. Like, oh, you have to remember uh, George W. Bush because the nine eleven, <laughs> or he fucked up Iraq and Afghanistan. No, you're not going to remember that. Yeah, not gonna be yeah and I'd say he'd, he'd be the one most likely to to possibly be remembered, but that that would be it, you know. You might get, and that's rocked. actually like when I approached that. It's funny. This is actually kind of one of the things that prompted my approach to my podcast. Is I was like, can I name every president in a row? Okay, I hit most of them. Can I name three things about each president? And you know, and that's where you're like, wow, there's a lot of presidents. You're like, mm, yeah, Benjamin Harrison. He lived. 
Um, <laughs> it's true. Yeah. And, and so when I approach my episodes, I try to like really lean into like, what are three main things that I want to explore? And then at the end, like recap, here's three things to know. Uh, because you're you're right. There's so many people, and and if you look at these recent guys, you know, like what would be the three things they'd be known for? You think a uh, uh, GW? It would be like 9/11, Iraq War, uh, the start of the financial crisis, perhaps. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you look at Obama, you probably look at trying to get out of the financial crisis. You look at Obamacare, and then you might look at like just the Tea Party thing, like the swirling changing of politics around him, that mm-hmm. that he was the center. Oh, oh. First black president, of course, too. So that's and the only thing that I think would put uh, Barack that, Obama on that list. 100%, right? actually, yeah. Obama will oh. always be remembered first black president. That, now, so people might name... then say, what did he do? And they'll be like... Exactly. But then, so now that you've done all this research on these presidents, how many of them in there were those three things you were like, yeah, I don't really care to know those three things anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's... You know, everybody's kind of got their own threshold of what's fascinating. Oh, yeah. And probably even now, like if I look back at a lot of these 19th century presidents, so I just got through doing them, and, and you were to put me on the spot and say, can I name three things about each of them? I There's some of them be like, damn, what were my three things on those guys? <laughs> you know, there, there's a lot of guys who who is easy to, to slip through, even if sometimes it's monumental stuff. It's monumental stuff that maybe seems boring today. You know, oh, yeah. like you might say, yeah, like um, an infrastructure bill. It it means a lot, but I'm not going to remember that. Okay, so here's what shocked me: early American history, it's all about friggin' banks and tariffs. And I'm yeah. I, and when I started getting into this, I'm reading these books. I'm like, okay, they're talking about the bank again. Get to something interesting. <laughs> and it's like, no, no, it's just like the, the U.S. bank. Like, oh yeah, fight the. We got to make one. We got to kill it. We. What are the rep- repercussions of that? Or tariffs? Should they be high? Should they be low? Like. That is such a huge part of that early. And, and now you look at it kind of like you said, infrastructure bill, you're like, oh, <laughs> cool. I often think about like when the country started yeah. and our first few presidents and everything. And you think about like, oh, all right, they're president. But there's a lot more to it than that. Like they were starting a country where they were literally going to get yes. murdered for what the fuck they were doing. <laughs> like that gets a lot more interesting when you think about it. Like, um, if either, I'm sure you have you watched the John Adams on HBO. Yeah, yeah, I, I watched a good awesome. chunk of it, and I read the book that you know kind of inspired it. I haven't read the book yet. I'll have to do that. But you know, what I mean, the, the Adamses of... are fun, by the way. Uh, yeah. I, I my what I want to see on like the the History Nerds channel is a sitcom called Everybody Hates John Adams. That's I'm what sure I want to see. A lot of people that hate John Adams. <laughs> they all hate him. <laughs> it also painted. Ren Franklin in probably a more truthful fashion, but one you don't often hear. Yeah. And that he was just a playboy dick. <laughs> he was a total playboy. Like he was like, like just an asshole. <laughs> one of the most influential members of the media, members of the press of that time mm-hmm. in US history was one of his illegitimate children who yeah. uh, was, if I remember right, like a hardcore supporter of Jefferson, you know, out there uh, and just writing like slanderous stuff. And he was like, yeah, 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 I'm a the legitimate son of Benjamin Franklin. This is this is my thing, and that's the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ben, Fra- the Ben Franklin that in that show, and I had to look it up afterwards. Be like, is this actually truthful? And you're like, oh <laughs> fuck yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, this, I feel like the times in history back then. You're like that. That was wild, and it's easy to remember. But anything from like I don't know, maybe the late 1800s up until Nixon, it just almost didn't exist. Like you don't really, most people don't really think about any of that. People will be like, okay, there were a couple of world wars in there 
and yeah. and other than that you know they won't really know like nazis were bad i, I hope <laughs> they got that down um but i mean sure. i've met people you say until nixon i met people who have been like what's watergate and i'm like what <laughs> did you go understand. to school well i can understand that with like the younger crowd because why would they even hear about it that much now you know? it's yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's the, still like known. the biggest it, scandal. It, like, I for some reason learned what about Teapot Dome. I still have trouble explaining what it is, but you know, you, it was in the textbook. I remember um, Watergate I mean, at least got a movie. I mean, you got Dustin Hoffman in there. People should watch that. It's good. <laughs> they should, but there was no movie about Teapot Dome. That What's would be boring. I don't even know what that is. It was the kind of illegal selling of U.S. government land that had oil under it to companies, and then the guys just pulled and got kickbacks. Now, what what uh, time frame was this? This was Roaring Twenties uh, during the short. Oh yeah, a lot of, of really shady stuff Harden. going on then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which presidency was it? I didn't get to hear. Uh, Warren G. Harding, who was around for like two years, and then he died of like a massive heart attack in San Francisco. Just so he did a lot of illegal land selling to corporations. Does he that didn't. mean that he was? Oh, he didn't do that. Yeah, sorry, his cabinet members oh, and okay. their underlings did. Yeah, just to be okay. clear, Warren Harding. Apparently a nice guy. Let's let's be nice to him. But uh, he, <laughs> in fact, there's a quote from him uh, uh, of something like, "My enemies, my enemies, I can handle, but my goddamn friends." <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah. So that actually that sparks uh, an interesting thought here. Uh, I'm going to ask you to put a finger on this here and tell me exactly which president is responsible for sure. the massive amount of corporate corruption that we have now. How did that happen? Who did this to uh, us? I don't know that you can point to a president, um, but it has certainly been a slow unwinding by many presidents of legislation that was put in place during the progressive era. And like from from TR through FDR, you know, you kind of start being like, OK, this economy is not working. Uh, how do we tighten it up? How do we create social safety nets? How do we uh, prevent like over speculation? And then it was like people of both parties, you know, like uh, Clinton in the 90s, there was this moment of Democrats even like saying, oh, let's let's deregulate. Maybe deregulating is a good thing. Generally, it's been Republican presidents, each one kind of taking a, a brick off of the wall that you might call regulation. Um, but even Clinton was getting into it for a little while there. And uh, and then every individual senator, every individual congressman, you know, who, who kind of went along with it. Um, and it's funny because I. I you know, a lot of people, they think of regulation as something that gets in the way of the American person. You know, like yeah. I feel like people regulation that's getting in my way. I like to think of regulation as something uh, good regulation that mm. keeps the corporations from getting out of your way. You know, that a good regulation might prevent a bank from giving you a credit card deal with a super like obstruct, like obnoxious, you know, clauses that you're never going to read that rips you off. It's, you know, good regulation will stop Wells Fargo from opening five accounts in your name, you know, and now you don't have to deal with that because the regulation got it out of your way. So I, I think that's still not how people think of regulation. Uh, yeah. People tend to think of regulation as it's something in my way. Um but you're starting to see a pushback at it. You know, you're, I think there's things that Biden wants to do, certainly that will start to uh, get the corporations less involved. And who knows, you know, maybe even you might see on the Republican side, it's uh, there's there's just certain like echo chambers. And like we were saying earlier, what are the issues people are going to vote on? 
people mm-hmm. are voting on guns, uh, God, you know, on uh, abortion, uh, on that kind of stuff. And so these other things are being eclipsed. And so that makes it easy to keep either unwinding or just hold the line and then unwind more later when you get the chance. We almost need another Teddy Roosevelt. He was the one big one who went after uh, corruption, like hardcore. Absolutely. And the thing was, how did TR become president? Totally by accident. Uh, he was the vice president <laughs> and uh, the president right. was shot, wasn't it? Mc- yeah, McKinley was assassinated by was an assassinated. anarchist who was Sweet. pissed at, yeah, uh, <laughs> at a time of great inequity. An anarchist shot McKinley and then TR became president. And TR was only vice president because the New York political bosses didn't want to be New York governor anymore. And they're like, let's put okay. him in a vice presidency where nobody will ever hear from him again. Yep. Um, so that it was backfired. a fluke like that. Uh, but even too, there, there was also more of a groundswell. You had more third parties back then. You had progressive parties that were being organized. And it's really interesting because it's not in ways you think of today. Like the progressive parties back then were farmers. Like the People's mm. Progressive Party was an alliance of farmers in the Midwest. You know, it almost could have been a national force but the Northern farmers and the Southern farmers couldn't agree on whether to allow blacks into the lodge houses or not. So that kept it from being a national party. Um, but you don't have that as much today. You know, people are more sticking with their parties. The, they're, they're more sticking with, with their big shiny issues that are distracting them. And they're distracted from the economic issues. They're people, entrenched in their parties. Yeah, they're entrenched in their parties. And uh, also, the quality of life is just better. You know, back then, America led the world in workplace accident fatalities, <laughs> uh, the, the Western industrial world. You know, it was very, there were slums everywhere. You know, it was very clear that the quality of living for so many Americans was awful. And that made it easier for them to band together and say, we need to do some progressive reforms, progressive changes, we need to dial back the, um, you know, freewheeling corporate attitude where companies can do whatever they want get away with murder you know <laughs> today uh most americans like we we're talking earlier houses are expensive yeah that sucks but we still got like you know a couple tvs a phone we can play games our football yeah. team maybe they're good maybe they're bad you know we got all the our, our life our quality of life is so much better than it was 100 years ago yeah. and so it makes it much less likely that you're going to have a mass american movement who's upset even though like the rich are that disproportion between rich and poor is like as wide as it's been since that Gilded Age. The poor are better than they were last time. And so they're more likely to, to be content and not, not push as hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the rich are fantastically wealthy, we've all convinced ourselves, oh, that might be us one day. So <laughs> the other yeah. thing I find interesting from, from TR's time is he was a Democrat, but his beliefs were almost Republican. And it seems like no, he everything, was a Republican. Or sorry, he was a Republican that was more Democrat. And everything yeah. switched, right? Back, the, yeah, back then, the Republicans were the Progressive Party. But I should say part of the Republican Party was the yeah. Progressive Party. Um, there was even a, a, a faction that s- split off of them at one point called like the Mugwumps, <laughs> who yep. thought the rest of the party wasn't progressive enough. They were like the, and, the Whig Party or something, right? Uh, Whig party was earlier. The the Mugwumps, yeah, but they were like Mug. I don't, I don't even think the Mugwumps ran as a party. They were just a group of people who were upset. Some of them voted for Democrats every now and then if they thought rabble, the Democrats rabble. would deliver more change. Neither party really had this grasp on progressivism. Both parties were trying to grab it, but then not necessarily trying to do anything with it because the corruption was so obvious. Um, so you you'd have folks like Grover Cleveland, who was the one Democrat like in that era. And 
he looks very much like a modern day Republican, where he was like, my version of progressivism is to cut government spending, because we cut government spending, we're cutting government corruption. You know, we can't be corruptly spending money if we're not spending money. Mm. And so he was just like that, that, that he he passed more vetoes than any other president, like in, in a single term. The guy was oh, sure. like the king of vetoes. Yeah. Uh, but he also refused to do things that you might look today as progressive. For example, there was a push. There was no welfare state back then, no social safety net. But there was a push for pensions for union war veterans, which when you think about it, when like so many people fought in the Civil War, that's basically a social safety net bill. Mm -hmm. And Cleveland vetoed it every time. You know, the Republicans were the ones who passed it. So each party kind of had ways they were progressive. They had ways they were conservative. It, it's, it's a messy thing that doesn't necessarily line up with today or even with each other. You know, mm. um, from, from one candidate to another, you might have pretty radical shifts back then uh, until it kind of settled into the current, you know, the Democrats are the progressive party and the Republicans are the conservative party. It's interesting. Now, what, what's the deal with uh, the hard line on the parties now? I mean, when this country was started, that was not the intention, was it? When the country was started, no parties at all was the intention. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Nobody intended for there to be parties. And then they just kind of like formed on their own. And one of it is actually, I think it's one of these things that you look back to George Washington. Mm -hmm. The first two parties form because Hamilton and Jefferson hate each other and they're in his cabinet and they can't get along. And they're, 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 well, while they're both these very talented people, I do wonder, like, was this a, a one failing that we might look to on Washington and that he didn't create a shared vision for the country that could allow us to be more of, you know, instead of having these two very opposite visions could he have created a unified cabinet? Could he have, you know, established the norms better? Because it very quickly got incredibly vitriolic back then. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, parties weren't supposed to be the norm. It's also very weird that the United States has largely been a two-party system place, you know, uh, when all these other countries have multiple parties. It's, it's quite an interesting fluke that we tend to be a two-party uh, place. And, you know, one of the things, too, is you look back then, like they didn't have secret ballots. That's one of the things that I think is crazy. You know, back then it was you went in. Uh, well, first off, if I'm just out here, I'm the voter. I'm trying to decide which way to vote. I see both of you standing on the street. One of you is holding a Democrat ticket. One of you is holding uh, a Republican ticket. And I literally take it from you and I walk into the voting booth and I give it to them. So it's incredibly public back then. Like everybody knows how everybody's voting. Mm. And that creates like some real structure. And, and the secret ballot doesn't come until much later. But um, yeah, that was a bit of a ramble to your question, but no, nobody wanted these parties. <laughs> I, I think, I mean, our solution at some point is going to be more, because you're not, I don't think you can get rid of the parties. I don't think that's You'd possible. have to have major systemic change mm -hmm. because the parties at this point, kind of like back then, the parties, they protected themselves. They locked themselves in by being organized and having these printed tickets that, you know, you had to, you had to get your ticket. Um, but New parties could get in just by printing their own tickets. So in some senses, it was easier for a party to get in. Now, everybody goes into the voting booth and they vote on the ticket they provide. And the states, both parties working together, have made it very hard for other parties to get on those tickets. You know, you need like all these signatures. You need to get in by a certain date. You know, each state is different, but it's much harder now for third parties, for independent parties to get onto ballots. Mm. But I think that's the only way you're ever going to get out of like, we're so divided now is you're going to have to, there's going to have to be more parties that actually have a fighting chance. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's other things too. Like for example, get rid of the primary system. The primary system certainly encourages people at the extremes. They're the ones who show up for primaries. And so you, you tend to get more divisive candidates who then advance the general election. So if instead of a primary, each party doing its primary, what if each area, kind of like what you're saying, like we're not necessarily saying get rid of the parties, but we're just saying there will be one election for this mm-hmm. Congress seat. Everybody come out and vote on who you want. And you can do something like ranked choice voting even perhaps. Like here's my number one, here's my number two, here's my number three, here's my number four. And then start eliminating from the bottom. You know, mm-hmm. like if, if my number one didn't get enough votes, uh, to qualify, like he's obviously everybody's least favorite. Okay, go to who's my number two. And you can, there's other systems that exist. And I think that's kind of what you got to do uh, to start to eat away at it. People will yeah. still print their party you know, identification on, on their sh- sleeve. Um, there's other things like taking money out of politics. You could try to do that. Imagine if the United States was a place where all elections were federally funded. Yep. You know, and you literally, you, I mean, nobody's allowed to donate anyways. to campaigns. <laughs> yeah, no one's allowed to donate to campaigns. If you want to contribute to democracy, you can contribute to the democracy fund. And from that fund, every candidate, you know, gets an equal amount campaign. of money. Yeah. yeah. And, we and don't then, know you know, we all got public from. access TV and radio. We'll do debates on there. And like, that's how you, you can do something like that. I mean, the they're, whole election process in general is broken to me, though. If, it's very broken. There, there needs to be the systemic we... reform. Yeah, and even you just look at what we've got through through cable now, the way we, you know, they get 60 seconds to talk about something. That, that is not enough to do anything. Right? Yeah. You can't even it, take a shit in 60 seconds and actually feel fulfilled about it. Yeah, like, and, and with TV <laughs> too, you look back to the 80s when Reagan, if I remember right, it was like the fairness doctrine or free play on the air. Like, you know, until the 80s, you had to treat both sides equally, barely yeah. give them both a chance to talk. Now you don't, you know. And so that's allowed the, the news channels to really diverge. And instead of like back then, people kind of, you know, all hearing the same thing, but, but the, the news channels had to be balanced. Now you can have channels that really cater to one side even, or the other. And even in the 80s, I remember when that first happened, the news channels really weren't balanced. They just didn't like <laughs> jump off the deep end, right? Yeah. Like you knew if you were watching CBS or something, you knew it wasn't a Republican channel. It's just you didn't see much of the other side. Yeah. It was never balanced. No one was ever like, oh, this is unbiased. I like this. <laughs> you know, and, and it might just be everyone's expressing their own perspective on the world. You know, like as a former journalist, I like to think that the people at those levels can be unbiased. I uh, especially print journalists. I'm just because I was a print writer. So I'm gonna be like, if you want to get your news, get it from the newspaper. If not the newspaper, then get it from NPR. And want- it... If not that, watch TV. I, I want journalism to go back to what it was, like to where they had to fact check and actually had pride in what the fuck they put out and not clickbait and just garbage. There, Yeah, there's a lot of stuff on the internet that's just sad these days. Uh, cable news is pretty like awful. Like Even like a channel like CNN that tries to be middle of the road, they're not really interested in journalism. <laughs> they're interested yeah, in making money. money. They're an entertainment all channel. Money. All those news channels are entertainment channels, you know? And but even if you uh, took the money out of it, you're not, I don't think you're going to, like you say, all right, NPR, NPR is biased as hell. Like it just, it doesn't, you're never going to have it to where people are going to trust it again. I don't think, I mean, no matter what, if you, if you said, all right, Hey, it's federally funded. Okay. Yeah. Well, who's in the office? They're going to start, they're going to, they're going to think that. So the, the thing with, with the bias and the perceived bias is there were some studies on psychological studies once. Where uh, on, on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, actually, where uh, a researcher got a news clip, showed it to a bunch of Palestinians, 
showed to a bunch of Israelis. Asked each side, like, is this fair or is it biased? And the Palestinians were like, that was totally in Israel's side. And the Israelis were like, that was totally in the Palestinians' favor. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's a lot of perceived bias that, that people see that's oh, yeah. not intended uh, or possibly even not there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that's a struggle. Like journalists, they're always trying to figure out how to handle that. You know, uh, for a long time, uh, it was uh, both sides was how they handled that. You know, it'd be like, oh, well, let's just let the other person talk. Um, but then you run into the trouble of, say, the two sides of the argument is, you know, someone who's uh, like normal. I won't define what normal is. I'll say, let's call someone who's normal and someone who is either uh, a Trotskyite, you know, socialist down like anarchist. <laughs> or what if the other person's like a, a Nazi? Yeah. If you're doing both sides journalism, then you give each person the equal chance to talk. And they're just like, well, that was an educational discussion. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Hitler and Mr. Stalin for coming on today. We appreciate your time. You know, and that doesn't help anyone either. No. So journalists, they, they have to at some point start, uh, you know, re- refereeing a bit, umpiring it a little bit. And if you do, people will think you're biased, especially, yeah. you know, if, if you're umpiring it in a way that that doesn't fit someone's worldview. And they'll be like, oh, you're biased against me. But I mean, there is a chance that some of us are just wrong about things sometimes. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. It just feels like now everything's so far, like it's either, you know, you're you're all the way over there or you're all the way over it, there. It does. Not, it does. And I feel like the internet. Yeah. If there's something in the middle, I haven't found it yet. <laughs> yeah. My, my line for quite a while now is the internet was a big mistake. <laughs> we never should have invented that. <laughs> we're all gonna regret it well yeah, someday we'll be like yeah the, the internet that we shouldn't have invented that that, that was, was a great a test we're all done with it now we're you, done with you, it let's you can take this away yeah <laughs> it's true now you you'd mentioned um the issue with the money that's in politics especially when you're talking about um running for president is that like something you can look back in our history and say this is when that started to change is that like i a, absolutely a, can yeah ah, sweet. uh william mckinley where I am bastard. right now on my podcast. That bastard. What did he do? That bastard. Thank God so, he got killed. <laughs> <laughs> it was too late at that point. It was too oh, late. Shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, William McKinley is is the first president where it really became clear that one of these candidates who's running for president is the corporate candidate and one of them isn't. And it's because on the other side, the Democratic Party had this major shift. Uh, the previous candidate, the previous guy had been Grover Cleveland. Their mm. uh, next candidate was a guy named William Jennings Bryan. If you've heard of William Jennings Bryan, you've heard it mentioned that he gave the famous cross of gold speech. William Jennings Bryan, it's so weird. I'll try to keep this short, but basically the, the, a big part of the country back then wanted higher inflation. They wanted higher inflation because they owed a lot of money to the banks. And if you have higher inflation, then uh, the value of what you owe the banks doesn't change, but you suddenly have more money in your pocket. So it's easier to pay the banks. So that's what they wanted. Uh, William Jenny Bryant was in favor of a policy that would cause massive inflation. Uh, The corporations didn't like that, though, because they depend on banks for loans. Rich people depend on banks for loans to them personally, so they can live even richer than they are. The bankers, of course, didn't want that. And so in this election, basically, uh, McKinley, his campaign manager, this guy named Mark Hanna, whose nickname is Dollar Mark, he went around each company, each, each sector of the economy and said, hey, if uh, I've done the math, if the other guy gets elected, you're going to lose a million dollars a year. So why don't you give us 
$500,000 <laughs> and you'll come out ahead. Uh, consider it like the price of staying in business, basically. Okay. And he kind of shook down like each of these things and they made an insane amount of money. They made uh, seven times, they raised seven times more money than William Jennings Bryan did. Seven times. It was like $3.5 million to like $500,000. And then Teddy Roosevelt they, came in and just obliterated a bunch of them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dollar <laughs> Mark was so pissed when TR got on the ticket. When, when TR was nominated for VP later, uh, Dollar mm. Mark was like, are you insane? Do you realize he's one life away from the presidency? Yeah, because he got rid of what, like, he hit coal, he hit railroad. What else? Yes. He, had a, he had a whole a, a bunch of them, but they were like the biggest of the big at the time. Yeah. He, he like was Tesla and Amazon of today. Absolutely. He was like, I will break up some of these big trusts. He also uh, came down in, in labor disputes, like coal miners. That was a labor dispute. Should the coal miners get a raise or not? Until that point, if presidents got involved, it was to send federal troops to break up a strike. Teddy got involved and he said, no, nah, let's let's get a deal that works for these coal miners. And so that was a huge, like massive change. Um, but it's funny. Yeah. McKinley. He's the guy that gets more money in politics. And from there on, people realize, like, if I can be the more corporate, you know, candidate, I'm going to just raise way more money. He, he also ran like a modern campaign. They sent out literature to every American. You know, they, they had certain households identified as more influential. So they sent more literature to them. Um, but as William Jones Bryan, all he could do was, like, go around on the train talking to people. And from that point, it, it, it's it's uh, the big money's in it's politics. Downfall. Yeah. And TR, he, he tries his best. And it's funny because right after MTR, the first progressive president and the rise of the progressive era. These two things happen right next to each other. And then they continue to develop like in this really weird symbiotic way alongside each other. I mean, can you imagine if nowadays when a presidential candidate had, all right, you have this much funding, this much airtime, it's all allotted. Like, this is what happens. You don't get any more. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, life would be so much better. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't want to kill myself every election season. <laughs> Yeah. So the, a lot of the presidents are not going to be memorable in 100 years, like you said, but a number of them had a serious cult of personality. They're very memorable and they, they're really divisive. Looking back, what do you think, like what presidents made a lot of these big decisions and what were those decisions that got us here to this modern system that we're living in? Are you talking kind of political evolutions? Yeah, yeah. So because we're talking about presidents, we know yeah. now we know how money got into uh, how corporations got into <laughs> yeah, presidential I, I'd say, campaigns. Yeah, I'd say one of the guys right at the start, Thomas Jefferson, third president, the way he used the media. I mean, he he organized, he created the partisan system. He created politics. You know, he he did it. He was the first guy that was really doing all using all that stuff. Right. Also, the first guy talking about cult of personality. Jefferson was a master at that. Holy smokes. This is a guy who lived on this giant plantation, tended to by slaves, never really had to work a day of his life. This is why he has so much time to sit around and invent swivel chairs and things like that. And he convinced the American people that he was just like an everyday schmo more like them and that John Adams, John Adams, who lived on like the family farm and still went out and built fences and milked the cows, that John Adams was the symbol of aristocracy in America. Like that is a masterful PR. <laughs> So I mean, John Adams did look, did look, or didn't look the farmer look. I'll give him that. It's true. It's true. He, he, <laughs> yeah, John Adams, he like kind of played into it in the wrong oh, way. Absolutely. 
Yeah, then he was snobbish. I mean, like like we said earlier, everybody hates John Adams. Um, John Adams was an asshole. John Adams was an asshole. So I'd say Jefferson was was a huge influence. One guy who I talked about recently that I think is actually really interesting in kind of modern PR strategies is Grover Cleveland, um, a forgotten president by today's standards. But Grover Cleveland is the person who taught us how to survive scandals. And if anything, how to turn a scandal into a strength. When Grover Cleveland's running for president, a woman comes out and says, Grover Cleveland raped me, got me pregnant, locked me in a uh, insane asylum, and sent the kid to an orphanage. Nice. And that's not very good. People are like, oh my God, how are you going to respond, Cleveland? Now, Cleveland allegedly told his staff, above all, tell the truth. I had sex with her. That's it. Everything else is a lie. And this, this modern thing that you'll see, like you saw... Uh, any current politician, they'll be like, if I admit to like a little bit, but then deny the rest, that's how we get away with this. Like, like Grover uh, Cleveland Clinton invented the, the playbook. Weed, right? Uh, yeah, but I didn't, uh, with Clinton, with smoking yes, Clinton, weed, Exactly. Right? I didn't inhale. Yeah, yeah. right. You know, <laughs> uh, and you can see it in so many things after that. Um, yeah, Trump is a master at that. He's like, exactly. yeah, I, mean, I wasn't going to say Trump, but absolutely. He's a master at that. <laughs> Everything that someone accused him of. Yes, I did it. And F1, it was the greatest. Man. So let's move on. Yeah, every yeah. time. So that would be a big one. Um, other big changes, once you get to guys like uh, the, in, in the 20th century, people start to use actual media more. Um, like Calvin Coolidge goes on the radio, you know. Uh, other people start using TV. You get to televise presidential debates with JFK Nixon. That's a huge, you know, game change. We, we, we so see that as like a central part of the electoral process now. Uh, and, and it didn't exist before then. It didn't even happen. Like, I think, if I remember, like it happens at election and then it doesn't happen. Say, it happens again Reagan, later. Didn't Reagan bring back like talking to the American public on TV, or that he was the first one that used it thoroughly? He he, he brought radio back in a big way, if I remember right. I'll be honest, my research hasn't gotten to Reagan yet, and I was uh, he could be multi multiple. I was four when he left the office, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but th those would be some of the big change. Um, I think you can also look at people who who showed how you can expand the presidential power. Lincoln, in a time of war, he just did what had to be done. And he showed that if you do what has to be done, like pe people will uh, do it and ask for forgiveness later, you know, mm -hmm. that, that kind of approach. Absolutely. Yeah. So those are some big uh, moments I would point to. Yeah. It was, it's interesting that because we, the times we live in, people like Trump and Obama are super memorable because they were so controversial, but they really didn't do a lot. Trump, yeah. Trump solidified division, but in terms of policy, he didn't really do a lot. Yeah, it'll be hard to say. The la I mean, the one thing Trump did was tax cuts. Mm -hmm. But he you built know. the wall, kind of. <laughs> right. <laughs> and and he, yeah, he, he, he started building a wall that's already falling apart down on the border. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, Obama, people remember him from Obamacare. But it already feels like that will be replaced by something else someday. You know, the Democrats yeah. now feel like, and let's be honest, Obamacare was a Republican plan. That was yeah. him being like, let's take Mitt Romney's plan, and maybe the Republicans will support me if I go behind a Republican plan. And they're like, no, no, we won't. And, and Obamacare wasn't even that great. But like most people now, no, we just never got finished. Years are like, oh, right. this is there were there were flaws that were kind of put into it by senators, you know. Um, and nowadays, people either want like get rid of it, go back to private everything, or we want fully socialized medicine. You know, mm -hmm. it, it, it's this awkward middle area that nobody's happy with. Um, and sometimes that's politics. <laughs>
I think it's a lot of times politics now. <laughs> yeah. I actually, on the, the subject of Trump and the wall, I had a conversation with someone who was saying, that, you know, when Trump was first voted in, he liked a lot of his stuff. And he was like, you know, I like the wall. And I was like, why? What was it about the wall you liked? What was it ever going to do? Did you think that was going to stop them? He's like, no. Well, then why did you like it? I don't know. <laughs> what the fuck? Just didn't did think just China China should be the only country that has one. <laughs> it was a wall and it meant something. It, it, it never made a lot of sense. Even if you look at any walls that exist now, I, even when he was talking about yeah. building the wall, I was like, look at where it ends. It's the ocean. They just walk around it. Right. That's it. Just walk around <laughs> it, dig under it, go over it. Um, Have you ever seen the end of the, the Great Wall of China? No. Uh, not the end. I've been like, to the Great Wall, not the end. Goes, we'll put it up here. It goes yeah. out like uh, 30 feet into the water. Like you could just get a boat. Really? You could swim around the damn thing and you'd be around the Great Wall of China. That's my point about the wall here. It's, it's pointless. <laughs> exactly. Do you know who's going to be running next? Because there's all kinds ah. of weird shit happening right now. Yeah, it, it's hard to say. Um, my prediction right now that nobody agrees with is your that next takes. Republican nominee will be Ron DeSantis. Uh, Ooh, he's that that's, Trump. That's unfortunate. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I kind of agree with it, though. Yeah, he's the guy who's positioned himself. He's mm -hmm. gone on all the right places. He's getting the national exposure. He's basically playing that same red meat, you know, playbook. He's delivering for that red meat playbook in Florida. You know, he is positioning himself mm -hmm. to be the next guy. Uh, I don't think Trump will run again. He'll just be really old. You know, yeah. I feel he like run, he'll be. But I don't think he'll make it. Yeah, like, I don't know. It, it, and if he does run, it certainly does, like, freeze the whole Republican field. Yeah. Uh, and, and it creates a conundrum for DeSantis. But I, I'll say that I think DeSantis will be the next Republican president. You know, the next guy, that, that'll be him, whether it's in two years, whether it's in, you know, six years, I think, or, or yeah, later. He, he he'll, seems to be he'll, he'll be the candidate, that's for sure. I don't know if he'll make it a president, maybe. Yeah. And <laughs> then on the weird. Democratic side, you know, hard to say. Biden's getting old, too. Um, oh. And well, he, that was what I said when he first ran. I was like, how can he do that? He's almost 80. It's And it's funny, like the whole time he was running, everyone I spoke to was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Kamala will take over. And I'm like, that's not really how this works. <laughs> it, worked and, uh, Kamala, hmm? <laughs> it worked for Teddy. It worked for Teddy. Yeah, it worked for Teddy. And Kamala, like, she's been so invisible. You know, and I'm a news junkie, and I, I never see anything about her in the news unless it's a story about how, like, somebody else left her staff or they're unhappy say, there. Apparently, working in her staff is miserable. <laughs> yeah. You know, there, there's nothing good happening there. She's not um, – she hasn't been put in charge of anything, or, or at least she hasn't taken advantage of being put in charge of anything. It's bizarre. Yeah. Uh, and then the question is, who who else from the Democratic field would run, you know? Yeah. Um the all the other top names are also going to are also going to be failures there too old. It's like, would Hillary run again? No. Would Bernie, you know Bernie run again? It's going to be a detached head on like the robot skeleton body, which was fine. <laughs> I'd vote for that. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, or will it be someone new? You know, will it be like uh, Mayor Pete running again, being like, look at the great job I did as transportation secretary, make me president? <laughs> you know. Um, or, or someone else who like comes out of blue, Elizabeth Warren, another one who will be, you know, probably too old, you know, like the Democrats have a lot of yeah. old people. It's a struggle that kind of both parties have. And that's one of the reasons I point to, to San the Republicans of anything right now have more young people that everybody knows. Yeah, you know? yeah they're popping up right now.
Yeah, and the Democrats, what the Democrats need is they need all those people in the Senate to retire. Uh, All those like 80 year old guys, they need need to clear the way for some younger people so you can give the party fresh blood. Because when you think about the Democrats on the younger side, the ones you hear of are the ones who are so thoroughly vilified by the right that I don't think they'd ever have a chance with the middle. The squad. Yeah, the squad. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm thinking of. Like, those are the people you think of. You think of, uh, yeah, all all, all those women. And you got AOC, you got. um... Here we go. Here we go. The the members of the squad is you have uh, Ilhan Omar of Minnesota, uh, AOC of New York, Rashida Tlaib of Michigan, uh, and Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts. Um, I still, not on that list is my local congressman, Primala Jayapal. That's it. Oh, that's right. I forgot about her. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and and if pre, you know, if anything, Primala Jayapal is more of a centrist of those from the, mm-hmm. the press clippings I seem to be getting. She seems to be really looking to being looked to as this leader, a young leader in the Democratic Party. And the part of Seattle she's from, she is not going to lose re-election. <laughs> you know, she is safe until she wants to enter the Senate or do something else. So that that might be uh, someone on the Democratic side, frankly, to keep an eye on uh, maybe 10 years down the road. Yeah, that makes sense. That's that's kind of who I was thinking, too, because when, by the time that Democrats can actually run again, in my terms, in, in my mind, like a successful campaign, it's going to have to be some of these younger people because everyone else is going to be either dead or, yeah, you know, eating there's through no, a straw. There's right. no way Biden can get a second term. He won't make a second. Biden, term. If it was Biden versus Trump in a rematch, I think Biden would win that rematch. Just Trump's just got so much baggage. Yeah, he does. You know? But even then, I think people will forget it in the next four years. No way. It's there was so much hatred constantly. for Trump. It's not like it the is. last times a, pre- a president was out of office and you just forget about him. He's still the in the whole news story, all the time. Yeah, the whole story would be: Are we going to re-elect Biden or the guy from the insurrection at the Capitol? <laughs> you know, are we going to re-elect Biden or are we going to end American democracy? Like that would be the storyline everywhere right. you looked. I mean, he is like a cash cow to the media. It is pretty bad. <laughs> <He> is. <laughs> well, it's just if like, you look at it, every, sitting there like, what do you do today? Every week, though, something new comes out about his involvement with a lot of that shit. Like for yes. the insurrection uh, last week, I saw something where he was like, like he knew about it and intentionally pushed people to do it. And he was told by his cabinet, you need to tell them to stop. He was like, no, no, this is great. I'm not doing that. Yeah, that's part of the text messages, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that that is, you know, the Democrats plus Liz Cheney and, and a couple of those, yeah. you know, uh, non-Trump Republicans um, who are like, we just want to make sure that that doesn't become the party of Trump. And they're trying to s- just drip those stories, just keep those stories dripping, you know, to make sure that he either doesn't get renominated or doesn't get reelected. I think that's a good idea, because having your entire Republican Party based around a single person instead of a political ideology. It's not really a great way to operate. Yeah, it's, you know, it's funny because on the flip side, he's so such a lightning rod that when he runs, it it almost forces the Democrats just to run against him. Mm -hmm. And then you have that problem of the Democrats are running against Trump and not for anything. Yes. Becomes a perception. So that's the flip side of that. If, If you get a really divisive person running for president, then the other side suddenly feels like they, they don't have anything anymore. They're just not that person. And so it's like, okay, am I going to elect this person who has some things that I very clearly understand what they want to do or just the people who say no to that? And that, mm-hmm. that's a trap. 
Yeah. That's I, I got a lot of that impression with this last race uh, when Biden was running. Yeah, he talked about some policy, yeah. but a lot of it was, I'm not Trump. You should vote for me. Yeah. Which is absolutely why the Democrats didn't win as many seats as they thought they would. Yeah, you I know? don't think they had to put up more than that. <laughs> well, if they yeah. wanted to win so they weren't in the situation they're in now, they should have. Because now yeah. everything they do is fought, and they barely squeak anything by. Mm. Now, now they're all sitting there being like, fucking Joe Manchin. <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm sure that's mentioned a lot. And so I don't know what your future aspirations are, Kenny. But let's say <laughs> for a minute that you are going to be President Kenny Ryan. I'm tired of fighting over abortion and guns. What what important issue are you going to uh, kind of address with the country that is not those? See, that's where I would fix all these really boring, unsexy systemic issues where you know nobody would ever like remember Kenny the president <laughs> later. You know, nobody, nobody would be like, oh, Kenny, you know. Stuff. Like maybe I'll, I'll make ice cream free on Sundays. So I have like one thing people really like respect me for. But what the, the thing I focus on is I'd be like, okay, how do we get rid of gerrymandering? How do we get money out of politics? How do we fix the primary in the election system? How do we fix the Supreme Court? You know, uh, it makes no sense that there are people with life terms. Like we, the whole democracy thing was supposed to be to get away from that, you know, to get away from this idea of people that are just there for life, um, creating like terms. And like, I, th I think the whole court system can use a radical rewrite to where it is less partisan to where it is out of the politicians' hands and more of just a strict, like, interpreting the law, you know? So those would be the types of things that I would jump on. The really nerdy, the, the it doesn't fit on a bumper sticker, mm -hmm. you know? i do all that, and then I would promise everybody free ice cream. And just know, 100 years <laughs> after you, someone would be doing a podcast, be like, who the fuck fixed all this? <laughs> oh, it's <okay. laughs> uh, I, I will say, I, I, I like all your ideas except for one. Uh, because of Nancy Pelosi, I have ice cream PTSD, so that won't work for me. Oh, uh, yeah, it's true. It's not going to work on you? Well, you know, if, if you if you decide to check out Seattle, Molly Moons might change your mind. If you go to Austin, Amy's ice cream might change your mind. Best <laughs> ice cream is like, oh, my God. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I will definitely check them out because I'm going out west again this summer. Uh, Do it. But I think that that's a great place to wrap it up. So, yeah. Kenny. Before we uh, go our separate ways, can you remind everyone again where they can check out more information about presidents? Absolutely. You can uh, find me on any podcast platform. It's Abridged Presidential Histories. I'm also on Twitter at APH Podcast. Uh, love to, to see you all there. Awesome. Thanks for being on the show. My pleasure, guys. So, Grizz, I actually learned a lot more than I thought I was going to hear, but... Uh, something, something has come up recently <laughs> since we actually recorded the body of this episode. Something has? Yeah, and I think it might make Biden a little more memorable than we thought he was going to be. Yeah. And that's World War III. <laughs> Do you think World War III is actually going to happen? Uh, I, I think I it think, is, but not, not now. <laughs> I think it's got the potential to, uh, at the very least, plant the seed for it. But the, uh, the issues going on in Ukraine if they devolve into something a lot bigger than they are right now, I think Biden's going to be memorable. But even then, we talked about this in the episode, like just because they start a war doesn't make them always memorable. No. And you know? uh, like Bush, he's not that memorable, even though he started a 20-year war. Comparatively, it's a low-level war that we've been in. But if Ukraine evolves into something beyond Ukraine and it triggers World War III, well, you know, I take it back. He's not going to be remembered. We'll all be dead. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> all 
Thank you again for listening to Beautiful Bastards. New episodes every Monday. Remember to like and subscribe. Perfect. I am not a crook. <laughs>